Yes and Marketing, the podcast for people who believe that great ideas can come from anywhere. I'm your host, Steve Pakras. Join me for conversations with eclectic marketers and creative thinkers. Yes and Marketing is brought to you by Verblio, the friendliest content creation platform in the business. This week, I'm talking with Alex Ordonez. Alex is a career marketer in the music industry, having spent time as a VP of sales and marketing at Alfred Music, the world's largest educational music publisher and currently leading marketing at Group One Limited. Verblio's own Ryan Sargent recommended Alex to me as someone with deep expertise in two channels that are too often ignored by digital marketers, trade shows and trade journals. I picked his brain on both those topics in addition to how he thinks about sales enablement and alignment in a B2B2C industry and the lessons marketers can learn from rock stars. Alex and I spoke on November 19th, 2021. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Alex Ordonez, welcome to Yes and Marketing. Hey, it's awesome to be here. Super excited. I'm ready to rock. Cool. We're starting off with the questions. Why is 311 the best band of all time? Oh my God. That's like the best question ever. <laughs> so it's, it's 311 and they are from Omaha, Nebraska. They basically represent every genre of music that I am passionate about and they combine it all into one sound. A little bit of rock, hip hop, reggae, jazz, little jazz fusion, you name it. They do it and they combine it all into one sound. And their lyrics, you know, you find those groups that the lyrics resonate. And it's like, I feel like every song kind of tells a bit of my story and my life. So, um, yeah, I'm a little bit on the obsessed side. I've seen them 28 times and I may or may not have a few 311 tattoos on my legs. Best concert you've been to that wasn't 311? Oh, Michael Jackson and the Jackson tour 1984 live at Dodger Stadium. That was pretty awesome. And I still remember it like it was yesterday. We went with my whole family and that was just it was the Jacksons. It was cool. Favorite Dodgers player? Oh, uh, I'm going to go Justin Turner. The beard. My jersey's Justin Turner. I got to love the beard. Yeah, and I love the Dodgers, and it was a sad season this year, just that it ended on not the best note. Yeah, well, I'm a Giants fan. Uh, I didn't tell you this before. We all have issues. I get it. (laughs) Uh, Your most painful Giants victory over the Dodgers. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to answer that. Yeah, I don't even know, because there's been quite a few of them. (laughs) Your most British experience now that you work for a British company. Um, they like to take a lot of tea breaks. They really do. It's not just a... That's a very general statement, but I've been on a few calls in the last month where we were in a meeting and then there was another meeting, but maybe there was five minutes in between and it's happened a few times. We're like, oh, good. I have just enough time to have some tea. And I'm like, oh, those are things I don't normally hear. You know, usually we're Americans. We're just like, coffee is the only thing. And, you know, we always talk about coffee, but they're like, no, I want to have some tea. So now I feel like I need to start drinking tea. I think it's time. All right. Thank you for the warm-ups questions. Uh, We're going to dig into some of your origins before we talk about music and marketing, niche marketing channels, and all the rest. You served in the Army before making the jump to the music industry. What led to that major life change? So I've always been uh, into music. That's always been like embedded in me. It's always been a part of me. And so, I, I mean, I started playing piano at the age of five, took lessons forever and ever. Then in high school, played sports, wasn't as into music. I mean, I'm still passionate, but I wasn't actively playing or performing or anything. Then after high school, it was kind of like, what am I doing? I'm kind of lost. I, you know, I feel like I'm a pretty intelligent guy, but I really don't know what I'm trying to do. So I went to the military. That was amazing. Had a great experience. But I always felt like one thing was missing, and that was this passion for music. And I've always been like a, I hate to say this, but, a, you know, what if? And I remember thinking like, I don't want to be older and go, what if, what would it have been like if I would have gone into music? What if I would have done that? And then, you know, been retired military, which I would have been extremely proud of. But I knew that there was always going to be that what if. And so I said, you know, I was single at the time. 
I was going into my third enlistment. I didn't really have anything tying me down. And I'm like, you know, I'm really doing good in the, in the army. I love it, but I have to try music. And when I said music, I really wanted to be not a performer, but I knew I wanted to be kind of on the, the behind the scenes type of thing in the business aspect. And I said, you know, this, if I'm ever going to do it, this is the best time to try it. So um, I got out of the army, went straight to college and went to Cal State Northridge and majored in uh, music industry studies. And I just kind of went from there. But it was like something inside me was just like, I always, I needed to do music. That was it. That seems like absolutely the most LA major of all time. <laughs> you went from a temp position to head of sales and marketing in a single company, which is really rare. What were some of the most important lessons you took from that journey? First and foremost is never be afraid to ask questions. I don't care if you're the smallest guy, the lowest guy on the totem pole. If you're the guy who's making photocopies and you see no value in that, I bet you anything there's, you can find value. You just have to ask the question. So I was that guy who was like, what am I photocopying? Oh, well, it's these contracts. What are these contracts for? And like, I just kept asking questions, I remember. And I remember them always saying, I love that you ask questions. Nobody really asks questions like this. And I, so that was kind of my thing. Like, ask questions, learn, know your purpose. You know, people are very good that can give you direction. But not everybody is good, like in a management standpoint, not everybody is good at giving direction and purpose. And to me, it's like, know your purpose. If you don't understand why you're doing something, you're not going to be fulfilled. You're not going to like it. You may not understand it. You're just going to be a bitter person. So understand why you're doing it. And so I always ask, how does, how does what I'm doing play into the bigger picture of what we're trying to do? And I was fortunate enough to have some great management and leaders that would sit down and talk to me because I'd ask the questions. And then the other part is I was in a music publishing company. And side note, the books that we were publishing, a lot of them were books that I learned on when I was age five. So I knew the brand growing up because the company was called Alfred Publishing, Alfred Music, Alfred Publishing. And um, I knew the brand. So I kind of came into an organization that I was already familiar with, but also pretty passionate about because they had taught me to become the pianist that I already was. So it was like my whole life had come full circle. So I learned, hey, you know what? If you're passionate about something and you really believe in what you're trying to do and how you can help people become better versions of themselves, like in my mind, it was actually pretty easy to move up because I loved what I was doing and I truly believed in what we were doing. We were, I felt like we were changing people's lives for the better. It was great. And I didn't actually go in to the music industry specifically looking to be in marketing. I just kind of fell into it because that's where I started. But as I learned about how marketing plays into the bigger picture and how it actually is a very um, pertinent role in working with sales and working with production and working, you know, you have the ability to work with a little bit of everybody. And so I learned really quick, like, wow, there's a lot of great opportunity in marketing. My skill sets and what I do and who I am as a person fit perfectly into this. So it just, it was always just a natural fit. What's the strangest part about being a marketer in the music business? Going from fan to being a colleague with some of the most prolific folks out there, whether they're artists that are on stage or the behind the scenes team that is doing the sound and the lighting. They're all awesome, amazing people. And I am fans of these folks. And then I get to work with them too. So that's, that's really cool. What lessons can marketers learn from rock stars? I think rock stars, some rock stars are very natural marketers. My favorite marketer, AKA rock star, Gene Simmons. If you look at what Gene Simmons has done for Gene Simmons, but the brand Kiss from when they started to where they are now, I mean, it's insane the empire he's built. And Gene Simmons doesn't have an MBA. He's not like this 
highly educated guy in marketing, but he understood the power of influencing people, folks, his fans early on, and really just drove that. If you want to look at great marketing success, I think you, people should look at Gene Simmons and what he's done because it's pretty darn amazing. Awesome. Just pretend that some people in the audience might not be as old as us. Yes. And can you explain more about how Kiss and Gene Simmons innovated marketing? Yes. So, okay. Kiss being a, a great hard rock band from the 70s, still relevant to today. In, the, in those days, apparel and having an entire like toy line and all that, it wasn't as big with a lot of artists. Gene Simmons, when they were coming up, you know, Kiss is known for having a very unique look. They painted their face, had costumes and all that. So they were already very unique in the industry, and he took advantage of their uniqueness and created a bunch of lines based off of their image and their creativity. So there was a toy line, there was cartoons. They came out with anything you could possibly imagine branded Kiss, they did it. And But they were really some of the very first to ever do that from a rock star standpoint. And now you see it, that's like part of like being a rock star is having that whole branding piece. Cool. I think there'll be a lot of people who don't know that story. We are going to move into uh, some of your specific marketing techniques, uh, both some niche marketing channels that you've worked on and also in sales enablement. All right, niche, trade shows. I think this is one a big puzzle for many marketers out there. Trade shows are hard and you've been to a lot of them. What are the keys to success at the trade shows that you go to? So yes, they are difficult. In fact, um, right now we're looking at a lot of trade shows for, you know, as life is coming back to normal, hopefully events will start coming back. And that's always the, what's the return? What's the return? What's the return? And I struggled with this for many, many, many years. And I, I guess I still do. I was fortunate enough to oversee a team that was an events team led by a very awesome woman named Renee Cunning. And she came up with this, not a theory, but she said, you know what? Instead of a return on the investment, we have to take the word investment out of this. What's the return on the event? What's the ROE on this? And so we really dissected that like, okay, well, how do we measure the return on the event? Like, what does that look like? And we came up with, it's all about engagement. You can't forcibly make somebody take out their wallet and buy something. I also don't believe that somebody goes to one event and they're like, okay, that's it. Now I'm a customer for life. It's a culmination of all the different marketing activities happening. It's just the event is that one opportunity where you have the opportunity to have face-to-face -face communication. And to me, I love digital. I love all the different cool marketing things you can do, but there's nothing better than face-to-face. -face. I think you can accomplish so much more face-to-face -face because anybody has the ability to just tell the story. But it, when you're telling it face-to-face -face over instead of like an email or you know any type of digital campaign, it's just authentic. People want to know that you really believe in what you're telling them. And that can come across in a face-to-face -face conversation. So we love to measure engagement, not just how many people came into the booth, but the people that came into a booth that are prospective customers that fit what we're looking for, how many of those people, one, did we actually approach, not just to say hi, but engage them and have a meaningful conversation? And was the conversation just one way or did we actually learn from them? And if we did learn from them, what did we learn from them? And capturing all of that on your post-show reports, to me, that really shows the value of what that trade show was for your company. So for example, you know, I always like to measure boot traffic, yes but I like to measure how many meaningful conversations did we have per day? And then year over year, are those meaningful conversations growing? Are they decreasing? And then now you start to get a little bit of insight of the value of that show or conference or trade show. Again, I just go back to engagement. That's really a very key metric in determining if that trade show is best for your company. And if your engagement is increasing, I'm pretty sure that there's probably gonna be some other things that are increasing along with that, such as 
sales, such as your reach. You can't always put a direct correlation, but I think you can make some really good assumptions based on that. And lastly, being at a trade show face-to-face, there's fun, great, all that, but you also get to learn about the bad things about your company. And that is just as valuable. And to me, that's a great return for a company to know where they're missing. And you can come back and take that and then improve. So to me, that's a great way to really gauge the success of an event. I love the opportunity to repeat your own sales pitch like 50 to 100 times in two days and then just see reactions and like iterate on what's working, what's not. There's no better way for a new marketing or salesperson or anybody to talk about the company that I think than to go through that and see exactly what you're talking about. See reactions of people's faces of what's resonating and what only resonates with you when you like how you say it. I just got to ask, you're going to music industry trade shows, which sounds amazing to me. Tell me about some of your best music celebrity trade show stories. God, there's so many. It's, it's another a great artist from the 90s, Lisa Loeb. You know, she had their famous song, Stay. She's great. She's awesome. We published a few of her songbooks, and she was in our NAMM booth quite a few times doing autographs. And I remember being in high school listening to her music and absolutely in love with her and thought she was everything. And then here I am standing next to her and having great conversation, and she's signing autographs in our booth. You know, you just have those surreal moments where you're like, wow, how did I get here? This is cool. So that, that's one. And the, the NAMM show is always fun because at that trade show, you're always going to see some of your favorite artists. I've seen Gene Simmons at those shows. He came into our booth. Stevie Wonder came to our booth. All, you know, you just have all these, you know, these high profile people that have come through and it's just fun to connect with them, but on a professional music basis, not as a fan. That's always been fun to me to just have real conversation. So that's cool. Cool. I keep geeking out on all this uh, celebrity contact that is not part of my normal marketing life. Yeah, earlier you talked about Shaka Khan. I said, she's great. So I met her a couple times and she was, she was truly great because we did a Shaka Khan songbook. We even organized this book release for her songbook. It was really cool. Downtown LA, we did this whole thing. And that was fun. Like, I'm like, I'm at a book release, a book that we published for Shaka Khan and here's Shaka Khan and I'm having conversations with her. And this is just like dreams coming true. This is amazing. Is it possible to talk to Shaka Khan without having the song Shaka Khan, let me rock it in your head nope. the whole time? <laughs> No, it's, it's, it's impossible. Because, I mean, she walked in the door and I'm like, Shaka Khan. <laughs> All right. I just wanted to make sure that was true. Uh, what's a good way to start developing relationships with trade journals? Oh, cool. Which is something I really, really believe in. And, and connecting with their folks in person. Trade shows is a great way to do that. They're always at the trade shows. And so I've always been proactive at that, reaching out to the trade magazine saying, hey, can we meet up for dinner? Can we meet up for a cocktail? Can we meet up just for five minutes, come to the booth? I'd love to show you some things. And being very consistent every year, year over year, year over year doing that stuff. And as a result of always done that, a lot of these have turned in from business relationships to true friendships, which I think has been cool. And so a lot of these folks are, are, have turned into really good friends, but it really just started with being personable. And not just, oh, all we do is have an email relationship. It's like, let's talk again, face to face. So to me, there's a lot of value. Here's an example. You know, uh, one of the magazines for many years became friends with, talked to them. And in our conversations, like if we went to dinner, you know, we talk about marketing and I'd say, well, here's my thoughts on this. And they say, you know, that would actually make a great article for this issue that we have coming up. Would you mind contributing to that? And that was all because we had the relationship, because I made sure that we had a personal relationship, that we were talking in person. And then we went to dinner and then we talked. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm now contributing to their magazine in which they're hungry for content. 
I like to market myself, but I also like to market the companies that I'm associated with. So it's a win-win for everybody, but it just kind of comes out naturally. And again, anybody who's in any industry, it's in your marketer, it's like become friends with all the trade magazine folks in the journals because they can be your biggest advocate and they can help get your voice out there. You know, they have to play fair. I get that and treat everybody equal. But, you know, there's a lot of opportunities that aren't on a rates card, right? There's things that you can do that may not be on paper and you can get creative and talk about some new opportunities by having that personal relationship. Can you give an example? So I think this is super interesting. I don't think about trade journals that much. I don't talk to many marketers who do. I'm wondering kind of what some examples of what those trade journals are in the music industry that people can be looking for in their own industries. So in the music products industry, first and foremost, print is still favored over digital. So that, that's unique to the industry I'm in is because I know not all industries believe in print, but music industry, it's very print heavy. So one of them is called Music Inc. They're very prominent, been doing this for a very long time, and they actually are the exclusive trade journal of the NAM show, which I talked about, in which they have a, uh, a journal called Upbeat Daily. And that's, it's really cool. What they do at every NAM show is if you're at one of the hotel blocks, that are for specific for that show. When you wake up every morning, you open up your hotel door and the upbeat daily is right on your doorstep. Every hotel room, every any person that's attending that show that's staying at a hotel wakes up in the morning and they see that journal. And it's now become an industry tradition when I do it, everybody I know does it, where you wake up in the morning, you open your door, you get it, you go back into your room, make your cup of coffee, and you read it before going into the show so you kind of know what to expect. And it's there's some fun bragging rights in there. Maybe you got a feature, you know, your press got picked up, maybe an article got picked up, maybe you made the cover, whatever it is. But it's kind of a, it's a point of pride. But it's good. Again, print is very relevant. Another great trade magazine out there is MMR, and I believe it stands for Musical Merchandise Review. It's great. And the people that are reading this, these are the people that are on the front lines at the retail, at the music retail level. And they're understanding what products are coming out, how products can help their business. And then knowledge sharing too. Retailers sharing what works for them, helping other retailers become successful. So it's a very close-knit community, which is cool. Nobody has talked about trade journals on the show yet. So that's super interesting. And uh, <laughs> we also haven't talked about trade shows at all, which is really a sign that like the world might be coming back. Maybe this is a trend and we get to talk about these things more. So a lot of marketers use the concept of B2B2C, which is basically you're selling to a company that sells, sells to an end user. Being one of those companies in B2B2C, it's really hard to stay in touch with the end user and what they're actually interested in. I'm wondering what your best practices are, are of approaching that. Okay. Trade shows is a great way to, to deal with that. That's the opportunity where you get to talk to the people that are actually using your products. It's very challenging, right? You sell to a retailer they sell to you, to their customer. As the manufacturer, you're constantly asking yourself, who actually bought our product? Like we know somebody bought it because the money's there, but we don't know who these people are. What's their persona? We can make tons of assumptions and all that. So that's where I think trade shows play another key role is take advantage of the opportunity to talk to the end user. And then I think it's just communicating the value of what you do and partnering with B2B, partnering with your retailers, helping them and them helping you. It doesn't have to just be a one-way sales transaction. It's partnerships. How can we work together to help you become successful? How can we work together to help you communicate effectively to your audience on what these products are? Giving them the resources, giving them the training. And again, it goes back to just having a relationship. Again, not the cold, just email all day long. It's like, hey, we're all in this industry to win. We're all in it to be successful. We're all in it to help 
students learn the joy of making music. So like, let's put our heads together and do this together, not individually. So I, I deeply respect your theme of building relationships to build business. You learn more about people, you build better connections. They think of you more top of mind. That could be with people that you're selling to, people who are selling to you, your end client. What tips do you have for other marketers trying to sort out a convoluted purchasing journey? You know, I, I may have touched on this before, but I'm very process driven. And so my thoughts focus on the process. You cannot make somebody buy something. Well, I guess you could, but it may not be legal. So don't always focus on the sale per se, focus on the process and how you can improve the process, whatever that process may be. Because I'm a firm believer, if you have a clear and clean process that makes sense to you, to the team, whoever needs to be a part of that, the results will come in exactly where you want them to come in. So focus on the process, not always just the sale itself. Great. As someone who has led both B2B sales teams and B2C marketing teams, how do you approach sales and marketing alignment? Classic marketing challenge. Yes. So in fact, for many years, it was not pretty. It was almost at a point where it was like us versus them and them versus us. And then you kind of had to take a step back and you're like, wait, we're all, we actually are all on the same team. We all want the same thing. We just are trying to go about it a little bit different. So, um, Years ago at, at Alfred, the way we were structured at that point, there was a vice president of sales, there was a vice president of operations, and a vice president of marketing, which was me. And when we came into those roles, we all kind of did our own little thing for a few days where we were like, okay, how do we make this work? What does this look like? And we were like very clear, the three of us have to work in tandem for this to work. Our teams may be butting heads, but we have to commit to each other that we are going to trust each other. And we may not always like what's happening, but we have to have trust because if we don't have that, we're going to fall apart and then the teams are going to fall apart. So having myself, vice president of operations and the vice president of sales, having that thought and, and that mentality really was kind of like leading by example. If people saw us in tandem and saw us working together and us effectively communicating with one another, that we started seeing that that trickling down, which was cool because now it went from, oh, now we're doing a marketing happy hour. And then two weeks later, sales are doing a sales happy hour. We got to a point where we were doing sales and marketing happy hours. We started building trust. We started communicating. <laughs> Crazy, right? Because a lot of times sales doesn't know what marketing's doing and marketing doesn't know what sales is doing. So having a process where people knew what was happening, when it was happening, goes a long way. Again, giving people a purpose. We can give direction all day long, but without a purpose, really doesn't mean anything. Excellent. Are there any other topics we did not cover? We covered a lot of ground today, but any of your favorites that we should have hit on? Let me see. We talked about 311, Shaka Khan. I think we got them. I, I actually really liked all these questions because I felt like I covered a little bit of everything. Cool. I like the themes of uh, no matter how cool your industry sounds, a lot of the themes of what makes a great marketer are all the same across all of them. Great communication, very thoughtful communication, proactive relationships, even if it's with Shaka Khan and uh, Lisa Loeb. Awesome. <laughs> uh, Alex, how can people follow you or be in touch with you after the show? Uh, you can follow me on LinkedIn, Alex Ordonez. I like to post. I like to follow. I like to see what's going on, the latest and greatest. If you have something that's worth me looking at, I'd love to see it. Um, I'm always wanting to learn. So best practices, what other marketers are doing out there, I love to see it and, and share what I learned too. Cool. Alex Ordonez, thanks so much for joining me on Yes and Marketing. Great. Thanks, Steve. This is awesome. I appreciate it. And thanks to everybody at the team. Thanks for listening to Yes in Marketing. If you enjoy the show or learned something new today, please take a minute to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It means a lot. Thanks. Thanks.